0: This is a production of Cornell University.
1: You know, thanks everyone for for coming to the second episode of the Cornell Turf Show. This year, yesterday was our first episode on Thursday, uh, where we had a golf turf focused webinar. uh, On Fridays here for our live audience at 10 a.m., we'll be doing a half an hour webinar and we'll be alternating every Friday between sports turf and lawn turf. Um, So this week is our sports turf episode. Every week, we'll kind of start with Frank Rossi, we'll start us off with um, some timely updates on the growing season, and then we'll transition into an introduction for our guest. Uh, this week, we're talking about sports fields, and our guest is Chris Sitko, former graduate student here at, at Cornell, uh, and currently works at the uh, Martha's Vineyard, the Vineyard Club Golf Course, uh, their organic golf course on the vineyard, um, but had a lot of experience with sports field uh, monitoring, safety uh, while at Cornell, doing uh, many things as a graduate student. Um, so we're excited to get to, to Chris, uh, our conversation a little bit but Frank uh, if you want to start us off um, what, are, what are we looking at here early in the season?
2: Well we're looking at 24 minutes to be the fastest 30 minutes in turf Carl so I'm <laughs> going to get right to it brother and just use this picture to demonstrate sort of what a lot of guys are hearing you know uh, with the pent-up demand and uh, opening back up of society I can tell you personally I you know, did some traveling across the country this past week. And, and I can tell you that the rest of the world or rest of this country um, uh, is opening up uh, rapidly and, and that's gonna play out in the use of our sports fields moving forward. And so uh, just to remind you, you know, we started these things last year uh, as a way of dealing with my anxiety, <laughs> I think, and partially be because we wanted to find ways to support you guys uh, out there in the field. While things were very unsure, uh, we were able to contribute with some education. It went over pretty well. Uh, And so we're returning again for a 10 week run uh, this spring. And we'll do this uh, with you sports folks uh, every other week. So uh, again, let me start out with the way we ended last year. uh, The way we were doing it last year is we wanna keep you safe. We wanna make sure your workers are safe. Uh, And of course there's all kinds of protocols in place. that'll probably stay in place even after we're all vaccinated. You can imagine some of the cleaning and disinfecting things will probably continue. You wonder how this, you know, it came up quickly. You wonder how how it's going to go away and how we're going to return to interacting with each other. But certainly in the workplace, we're going to face some challenges there. But the bigger safety question that we're going to take up With uh, my colleague, the environmental asset and research manager out at the Vineyard Golf Club is, you know, are your athletes playing on a safe field, right? You know, is that what your field is looking like uh, coming out of the winter? That that would be bad considering that most people didn't have their fields used much last year. A lot of the activities that uh, are used for active field use, you know, active recreation, organized sports, round ball sports, Baseball things like that was pretty much closed uh, to a lot of people during during the during the pandemic and for a lot of the year. Uh, And if it was used, it wasn't used uh, that intensively. And so, you know, take a picture back that we had from last year, and boy, you know, you you probably if you if you took advantage last year, you should have as dense and 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 a turf cover that you've ever had if you were able to get the resources out there. Uh, in a timely fashion without traffic, you know, I'm wondering if people created any thatch problems, because uh, obviously excessive nitrogen without uh, much wear could lead to thatch, but at the same time, you know, I'm staring down the barrel of w- what a lot of people are, you know, people are out there using their fields. so this is the text message I got from the soccer coach yesterday, just yesterday at Cornell, and McGovern is the training grounds, uh, that our Cornell soccer team plays on. So, you know, I received this question because we've, we've been involved with the soccer program and Chris has been integrantly, intimately involved with that while he was here at Cornell he and is going to talk a little bit about some of the things we learned while he was here. And I'll just start out, as Carl said, talking about the weather. Um, just, you know, it's, it was a warmer than normal winter. <laughs> I don't think not everybody felt that. Uh, but it certainly was uh, warmer than normal uh, throughout the Northeastern United States with very few cooler than normal periods. If you just take the, the December to February period, now snowfall was a little bit different. We had a, a good amount of snowfall in December. Uh, January was record dry and, and February again brought a fair amount of snowfall uh, across the United States as well as uh, in the Northeast. And, and a lot of it fell to the East. A lot of the snowfall fell uh, to the east uh, of the region, not so much even where we are up here. Now you look at our current soil temperatures, right? We're gonna govern our ability to to grow and put up with traffic by how much the system is functioning. Well, you know, the system is, is barely functioning, if at all. I mean, you're barely creeping into the 50s at the two inch soil at the two inch depth. Now that's not to say you can't get warmer at the surface. Uh, but certainly what you might start the year out with uh, is light surface rolling, you know, before they get out there, uh, maybe put a light roll on the fields. You, you obviously want to watch out for compaction, but there probably was some heaving and frost that occurred uh, through, the, through the wintertime. And, you know, if you're on a top dressing program, this certainly will go very well, but certainly light rolling, you know, I'm not suggesting, you know, you take the 10 ton vibratory street roller out there but just a light firming of the surface uh, could be useful. Cause you know, obviously these are the kinds of conditions that we're trying to avoid occurring. If you start to use these fields under conditions at the top where they're still a little wet and even maybe frozen, uh, you can really wear out the surface, particularly as the, you know, the ter- the, the soil itself might be prone to compaction. Now, As we look to the current conditions, right, our normal March, you know, up until 10 years ago, our normal average March temperatures you can see are are still fairly cool. This is average temperature. And that's not to say it doesn't get warmer than this and, and that you can't creep into the 50s and 60s like we just did for the last few days. But just a reminder that in general, the uh, you know the temperatures are cooler, and I think up here in upstate New York we're we're going to be in the teens again, uh, relatively quickly. Now you know what does this mean for how grass grows? Uh, it generally means that well you you might have a few days where the potential for growth is at eighty percent, right? You know the potential for growth, not that it actually grows that much, but because of temperature, which is driving the photosynthetic apparatus. And if you're getting light to the surface, you you have the potential to grow. Now, if you'll grow is a different story, but in the next few weeks, if we start to get to our average temperatures, we're gonna be at about 20% potential growth. So even if it was growing as much as it could, it would only be about 20% of optimum growth, which again, if you're putting traffic on it, is gonna be quite a problem. Now, Chris is gonna talk a lot more about this in a second. But certainly covers and darkening agents that warm the soil, stimulate some growth and recovery can be very useful at these times. Targeting areas with tarps uh, permeable or impermeable, uh, preferably to let light and water through can really accelerate that growth in an area where you might otherwise still be dormant and not ready to take on so much growth. So the question to for us for the rest of the time today is, are your athletes playing on a safe field? Uh, just before I, you know, introduce Chris, you know, we have one of still the best websites available that my colleague, uh, Joanne Grutadorio, uh, led many years ago uh, in developing is still one of the few that's as comprehensively focused on producing safe sports fields and it's in desperate need of a, of an update. So we're hoping that over the next several years, we'll be able to get some updated information here, but obviously investing in safe sports fields, as we talked about last year during the pandemic, communication is a very important part of that. So what do you want to tell the people, the coaches and athletic directors who are texting you and pressing you to get out onto those fields? Now, you know, in an ideal world where we weren't living in the middle of a pandemic right, we could have a reasonable conversation on the impact of overuse on field quality and safety, right? Now, if you're an athletic director and a coach, you know, they want good fields and fit in all their practice and games. And, you know, they wanna keep their schedule and now kids, you know, mental health is saying, we gotta get these kids outside. We gotta get these kids active, especially at the youth level, but everybody wants to be out and organized sports has been such an important component of many of these uh, people's interaction with the natural world. It's some of the only time they get outside is to do these things, but it does have a cost at this time of the year. And I'm not saying don't let them use it. I'm just saying, make sure you have a conversation with them about it and try to keep it safe. So on the sports field website, you'll see these calendars that Joanne developed many years ago uh, to look at Here's a spring and fall sports with minimal management. We did low, medium, and high budgets. We did spring, fall, and year-round use. And I just pulled out a couple here. And you can see, you know, if you're under a minimal management condition, right, you know, we're already telling you to start seeding perennial ryegrass. If you can't um, cultivate, if you can't top dress, this increases the likelihood likelihood of injury and excessive surface hardness. So if you look at a year-round management plan with you know high-end management, look at what we're saying, you know, monitor rooting depth, solid time cultivation, lightly roll, seed perennial rye. So there's a lot of things, if you're able to get the resources to get your sports fields going, whether it's covering or doing these other things, um, I think it's critical to start having those conversations. Now, uh, Chris, as I, as I trans, uh, transfer to you and introduce you, um, you know, you had some really hands-on experience interacting both with the natural surfaces here and the synthetic surfaces as we've carved out this partnership with Cornell Athletics. So thanks for that. Congratulations on your new gig and congratulations on your pending uh, marriage, which was just announced. Everybody, it's on the uh, you know front page of the paper now in uh, the vineyard, right? News is slow out there. Let's talk a little bit as we enter into this. When I asked the question, safe, I know you've got a few slides you want to show. Why don't you start with that number two slide? When we say safe, there's actually a way we can quantify it. So why don't you start talking about the way you approach this as we've approached it from a data perspective?
0: Yeah, Carl and Frank, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, always, always great to chat about grass. And let me see if I can get my... It's up here
2: even though you're in the golf business now
0: <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah we'll jump to number two yeah and i think it, it's a you know it's just one aspect of everything that has become data driven uh across the board for managing fields you know whether it's your fertility or you know the varieties you're stitching in and or even calculating field use i, I think there's a, a lot of beneficial data that needs to be incorporated and And how we manage and how we use the fields, but the two—I mean, the two we focused on—and I think you know it's probably the two most popular, easy—you know—I'd say maybe easiest to to you know gather is the surface hardness, which you've you've mentioned a few times already, and then you know so that would be the Clegg device, uh, the red device on the left, and that's essentially you know you're dropping a missile, and it's it's measuring like how far it's penetrating that surface. So with the Clegg, you're, you're using multiple drops. And then it's the third drop uh, that you're actually using the number for. The second device is the Toma Shear from Turf Tech. This is actually what we started with, but we've moved on to their shear vein. But essentially what you're trying to measure is traction, you know, the shear resistance of that surface. And, you know, one aspect that I think we've talked about a lot in the past, you know, just bringing synthetic into it, natural natural grass has the ability to divot. You know, you don't necessarily see divots on synthetic turf. You know, I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to get too far into the, the safety components right off the bat, but, you know, just that surface being able to, to give, but give you enough traction where you can perform to the level that you need. And that's going to vary a lot, you know, whether you're looking at elementary school level kids or, you know, what we did at Cornell with, you know, division one athletes. So, and then lastly, you know, the, the picture in the background, you made a great point, which I didn't really think about. If you didn't have a, a you know, use in the fall, I hope everybody's coming out of winter, you know, you, and you know, if you are buried in snow, maybe hopefully you don't have too many disease issues, but hopefully we have a dense surface. And I think that's the key to, you know, safety, you know, we can t- take all the values we want, but if, I think the number one thing that you have to focus on is just keeping, keeping a dense turf, um, which is going to, you know, provide that, that interface between the player and the soil. And you already brought up the, the Cornell turf website, but this is right off that safe sports fields website. And this is, you know, we're talking about soil. So in the spring, I think most people are gonna have saturated conditions. So knowing your soil type on your fields, whether they were constructed with native soil, or, you know, maybe you had the sort of benefit of having a sand-based system is gonna, is gonna mean a lot to, you know, to your point, if the coach is asking, can I get out there? Well, if there's puddles, I, you know, the quickest answer is no but understanding why you might have puddles is another question. And you know, to your point about communication, you have to communicate with the stakeholders often who aren't the grass growers, you know. So nobody likes to spend money and bury it in the ground, but you know, good drainage is critical to having a safe field. And then just moving on, you know, what can you do or you know, over time especially to, you know, amend that surface or you know, make it playable during these, you know, con- you know, early spring where Mother Nature isn't friendly, so top dressing, you know, sand top dressing is a popular uh, management practice. And but understand what it's doing, and you know, be sure if you are doing it and spending that money and investing in sand, make sure your your stakeholders understand. You know, so if you've been on a top dressing program and you've accumulated, let's say, a little, you know, a couple inches at the surface, take a core, take a picture you know, the field down the road might not have this, but you know, and it might not be usable, you know, so make sure you highlight these, these investments you've made over time. And you already brought up the rolling frame, but I think it's, a, you know, it's, it's kind of a do no harm time. You know, I don't, I think everybody's biting at the bit to get out there and do something, but understanding your soils, especially if you have a native clay, you gotta be careful getting out there with a roller uh, to avoid too much compaction. And you had already brought up the covers. I think your ne- you already showed the next picture, but at Cornell, this, w- this was actually in the fall. So we were trying to extend our growing season versus, you know, start it up early. But we just focused on on the heavy use areas. So we're looking at, you know, the goal map. And I think we had maybe two more games after this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one note with the covers, we were blessed. I mean, so Cornell has a separate game field. So we were able to, you know, get the tarp out and we left it down for almost an entire week. So you know if if you have a field that is practice and games and you know it's used every day you might have not quite have the flexibility to use you know these types of tools to you know kind of get that growth to either continue later
2: but a dark yeah year. but a dark top dressing will work right a dark top dressing will also work there
0: yeah absolutely and, and you know it's funny I, you know I'm on Twitter and I follow all the golf guys now but Folks like in the Mountain West, you know, they're they're top dressing with black sand, dark sand.
2: black sand all the time, all um,
0: the and time. It, it it heats the surface. Anything to heat that surface and you know kind of accelerate uh, the system. Um, but yeah, so this is the you know post cover for after just a week. You know, you're seeing you're seeing that that difference in the color. You know, maybe we had a little bit of growth. We didn't measure clippings or anything, but I would assume that you know we had a little bit more growth, especially if you're putting seed down. You know. You might get a little more germination in colder, colder temps. Mm-hmm. This is just so we buried soil uh, thermocron uh, temperature loggers, and this is just a graph of you know what was under that cover. So this was you know second half of October, and you know it might not look like much. So the blue line is uh, for that. I don't know if everybody's uh, if people just have audio or if they're um, tuning in on the screen. But so what we did we mem- we measured the soil temperature at two at two inch depth. And this is just under the cover, and then we have put one in the ground at the same depth, not under a cover. And right off the bat, there's hardly any difference, but you see towards the end of that seven day period, you know, a few degrees here and there. And, you know, it's one thing that you look back, it's like, oh, I wish we would have put one at one inch or maybe one at the surface. Because then I think, you know, we'd really start to see these larger differences that, you know, might give you a little bit better inclination than just the dark green uh, picture. Because, you know, I think at the biggest difference we might have five degree difference but we're we're at two inch soil depth you know that that I think that means something so at the surface you're going to have a much larger difference and then you know we can't we can't forget about synthetics you know your first picture was awesome you know guys on the field so and you know I I, that last year I was there I you know the Cornell guys I think they plowed Shulkoff 20 times and but you know to if you are plowing your synthetic surfaces to try to open them up make sure you're doing that in a careful manner. You know, you could be possibly moving that infill around. And I think the easiest way to check is, you know, oftentimes in the snow piles, we'd see the, your infill, you know, whether it's the black crone rubber, or, you know, a little bit of sand. So, you know, that could be your first indication that you got to get out there and check the infill depth. Because, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, shear resistance and back to the hardness on these surfaces, at least on the synthetics, I think, you know, having that desired infill depth is absolutely key to having consistent, you know, the consistent readings and the safe readings.
2: The other- and I think, you know, just to reinforce that, Chris, that infill depth is a relatively easy thing to measure that tells you a lot about safety. Once Andy McNitt and the Penn State guys did that work showing the value of the volume of infill is changing everything. Um, I, I think, at, you know, that's what it's, it's, we're always looking for an easy way to take this data. You know, if you can't afford the clag, you, you don't want to look at rotational traction. And, you know, what do they actually mean? They mean more to you as a manager. Obviously, you don't want the kid's head to crack open on it. So let's get to the hardness of these things moving forward.
0: Yeah, no. And I mean, we got ours. It was Chango Contracting was out, you know, servicing the field. And, you know, we were just talking with them. And they threw us at the little, I wish I had a picture. And, you know, it's a little device. It just, you know, sinks down into that carpet. And it gives you the infill depth. I mean, it's really easy five minutes you walk around take a couple spots I would like you to you know I would think you know maybe focus on if you are using the fields or you know maybe the last uh team to use the field so you know Cornell's baseball field is it has a synthetic surface and we see right around the bases where you know folks are sliding I don't know if if everybody can see my cursor but kind of back here you you almost see all that info right at the surface whereas near the base you're almost down to the, the mat underneath so you know, that just, even you can do this with a broom too. I don't think you need anything anything fancy. It's just a matter of if you have a little infill or brushing this back to where it needs to go. Same thing with the lacrosse goal mount. So I don't, yeah, to your point, you don't need fancy equipment, a little bit of time, you know, cheap measuring device, maybe. And But it's, you know, one aspect that, you know, synthetic turf it still needs maintenance, uh, even coming out of winter and, you know, getting ready for a season. Oh, Carl, sorry, I just saw your poll. Uh, but let me see if No, I- yeah
1: you know I, I think it was good Chris as we were talking about um, you know less expensive ways to measure field safety you know we, we talked about the Clegg and the traction device and those can be a little bit expensive for certain people uh, just asking people if they take measures of field safety so it looks like about two-thirds do uh, a third don't but you know I think that just reinforces your point there's some easy cheap ways you can go out and
0: and have uh, oh, look I know safety. I know. I know we're getting short
2: on time. No, 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 but but I want to say this because I I think what you're doing as you wrap up here and I'll, you know, tie it up at the end, this would be a good place. Uh, It's unusual, number one, I'm in any audience of sports turf managers where any more than 10% of them actually take field measures. So we've got a unique collection of high-end people measuring those things here. Number two, and I think, Chris, you've done it well here is you have people's attention uh, focused on the fields. You had to plow them off. You know, they're active to get out there. The way you can talk to them about the soil, say, yeah, we got this problem now and you see it. How about we fix it moving forward? We can go ahead and use it. We'll do You know, whatever's got to be done. Maybe even you take a field and sacrifice it. But But in the future, you've got their attention how how do you communicate it to them moving forward? So I don't, that's where I wanna reinforce what you said. Now now get us through this real big safety concern. Yeah, uh,
0: so this is, you know, this was from 2019 and you know, it, it was one of those things it's like the lacrosse teams are using the field and you know, we ask you Frank, well, should we be testing? He's like, you yeah, know, of course you're like, yeah, if they're using it, we're testing it. Um, so this is, you know, mid February to mid March, which, you know, we're towards the tail end of this, but you know, this is very relevant and it's, you know, the, I think the temperatures were much colder than, than, you know, maybe you're getting now, but so the, the blue line is tracking just average daily temperature. And then the precipitation is on the, on the right, right vertical axis. And then the bold numbers at the top are our clay or our surface hardness measurements. Just for reference, the NFL sets, sets a threshold at hundred, you know, for, for that field to be you know, safe and playable. So, right off the bat, we get out there and we get a 152. You know, it's like, holy smokes. And, you know, we walk over to the asphalt around it, you know, it's like, 58. it's like, oh my goodness, you know, it's it's, it's frozen salad. You know, and it, I think all of us, it's like, well, you know, the reason they're on the synthetic turf is because you can use it all year. Uh, and, you know, I don't think you need a, a necessarily a Clegg to, you know, <laughs> that, that surface was not hard. You know,
2: You can take the whole coach's head and bang his head on it and see if it's hard enough.
0: (laughs) uh, You know, and it's something, you know, it's one of those complaints. Everybody complains about all the infill getting in their kids' socks and shoes. And, you know, if you take your hand and just rub the surface, you can see it kind of scatter. Well, in this scenario, when it was frozen, I mean, nothing was moving. I mean, it was locked up. But then you look at two days later, we get a surge in temperature, a little bit of, you know, rain. That system thaws out. We're right back down to 100. You know, so the variability in in this is is pretty drastic. And then, you know, even further down the month, we're back, you know, huge, you know, this is average temperature. So if we're down near 10, you know, the, you know, the low for that was, you know, probably zero. So, and again, uh, you know, maybe it had, maybe moisture plays into it. You know, if you have a little bit of precipitation and then you have a really drastic drop in temperature, you know, even, you know, even a synthetic field can freeze. You know, which is something I never considered. I don't think any of us really considered it. I always thought they were, you know, all season long. Um, so just, you know, be cautious. You know, even on a synthetic field, it, you know, just go out there, rub your hand. I think that would be the easiest thing if you don't have a, a way of measuring how fit, even how it feels underfoot, bounce a ball. You know, I think there's a lot of, you know, just less, you know, fancy ways to determine this, you know, how hard that field might be. Perfect. You good? I'll just end with this slide. You know. oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long winter, you know. Oh, uh, you know, work the kinks out. Yeah, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> whether it's mowing, you know mowing a straight line or painting a straight line. Oh God, brings the time to work the kinks out.
2: <laughs> I just love when this happens at Cornell, where we're supposed to know what we're doing, right? I, love, I mean, I, I I think it's a measure of you know every operation has its challenges, and for us you know, like I'm already staring at at another text from the coach clarifying exactly how they can use the field. So, um, listen, Chris, thanks for taking the time, Carl. We're pretty close to the witching hour here, brother. Um, I I think we, what we want to do is promote a continued conversation. So maybe if people have additional questions about this or other things, we can start off the show next week with taking some questions and some comments, uh, uh, and and have Chris back at some point too uh, to to continue to inform folks about this. Thank, Chris, thanks for taking the time to Thank join you us. Oh, you ready to get us out of here?
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Chris and Frank. Like you're saying, uh, questions. You know, we got our live attendees and, and we got some questions through the Q and A. Um, but if you're watching either on uh, YouTube after the fact or podcast, and you got a question either about this week's episode or maybe um, for our future guests just send us an email. Uh, You can send me an email, css223 at cornell.edu if you've got any questions or you can reach us on Twitter too. That's a great place to uh, to throw us a link for any questions. Um, Thanks everyone for for joining us for episode two 2021 season, the Cornell Turf Show. Fastest 30 minutes in turf, maybe slightly <laughs> more today. You know, sometimes we have technical difficulties. I'm a millennial, but I'm not immune to uh, the digital uh, difficulties. So uh, thanks, everyone. Again, the live attendees, and yeah. hope uh,
2: we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot. See you guys. See you, Chris. See you. Take care. See you, Chris.
0: This has been a production of Cornell University on the web at cornell.edu.